With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Tuesday, February 8th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, yesterday the Guardians released their start times for the regular season schedule, uh, as well as a few a few new ticketing plans and promos, and their uh, their promotional dates, uh, including all the giveaways and everything that's uh, they they plan to have going on at Progressive Field starting on March 31st. Uh, <laughs> The immediate response, I guess, from everyone is, boy, they must know something we don't because right now the, the, the lockout is still going on. And here we are, uh, you know, a, a few days away from pitchers and catchers having to report. And there, there seems to be no progress in, in anything uh, towards a labor agreement. Yeah, they're, uh, they're optimistic, to say the least, I guess, Joe. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess they got to do it at some point, but. You know, with the with the back with the lockout in the background, that just makes it uh, you know, really stick out. You know, it just makes it. You know, you, you wonder. You know, what do they know? And uh, hopefully, they do know something, and this thing can get corrected, and we can get the season started on time. Yeah, it seems more likely that they they don't know something more. They just are are sort of planning for the hoping for the best, and you know that kind of thing. Uh, the home opener, always a, a big day in Cleveland. The first pitch scheduled now for 4.10 p.m. Uh, on the first, in the first game there, uh, March 31st, uh, for that home opener. What, what do you think of 4.10 p.m. Uh, start times for, for home openers? You know, I, I, just, I guess, uh, you know, it, a lot depends on the weather, but they usually try to start at around 3, right? Isn't right. it around a, like 3 o'clock? Usually. So, Maybe they give t- uh, more people time to get off of work and get to the ballpark. Uh, but, uh, you know, March 31st, that's kind of iffy, you know, it's weather-wise. I know they were fortunate last season when, you know, they, they really re- had some good weather when it looked like, you know, it was like, I think they started even earlier, didn't they? Last yeah, it's, sometimes they usually start around 3 o'clock is when, when it starts. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I guess uh, – Another feature that sort of returned uh, for the early games, at least the home games uh, in in April and May, uh, those games that would normally be seven ten start times are now six ten, which as as sports reporters we love because 
you know, the, we're, we're not up against deadline uh, usually by the end of that, uh, uh, the, the, the end of the game, but, you know, uh, we've, we've gotten a couple of notes about, uh, you know, fans who, who don't necessarily like the 610 start times. Yeah, you know, what did they, I think they did that, uh, you know, mostly through April, didn't they, those 610 starts April, last April week? and May are usually when they, yeah. when they do it. And then when the, when the weather starts getting nice and the, and the kids are out of school, they go back to the 710 uh, start times. Yeah, you know, like you said, from a selfish point of view, Joe, I mean, you know, I love 610 starts. I, I mean, yeah, you know, you, you, you're not up against, the, you know, deadline and uh, you get it done and you can get out of the ballpark at a decent hour, but I, I can see, you know, people wanting to rush and get down to the ball games and, uh, you know, maybe that puts a little, uh, you know, pressure on them. They, uh, they announced that if you buy a, uh, a partial or a season ticket plan now, or one of their flex voucher plans, the guardians announced that uh, you have access to purchase opening day tickets ahead of time before the public on sale, which is going to start, on February 14th. So Valentine's Day uh, morning, you're, you're able to buy at 10 a.m. You're able to buy tickets to every game, including the home opener. But if you want an option, uh, the ability to buy early for the home opener, you have to you know purchase one of these ticket plans. So I, I guess that, that home opener is usually one that, that, that sells out. Who knows if that's gonna be a game that's gonna sell out you know, this, this season. But uh, the chance to see the ba baseball in Cleveland played as the Guardians for the first time, maybe that's uh, an option that people want to want to pursue. Yeah, you know, I think you know they, you know, it's, there's always got to be you know some uh, you know something to spur advanced ticket sales, something to you know kind of build that season ticket base, and uh, you know this is it, and you know, and and you know it, it's probably a good idea. You know, especially with the ballpark, you know, being what, 35,000 seats now or whatever it is, you know, if you want to get in there to see opening day, it's probably if, you, if you're really serious about it, that, you know, that's probably the way to go. Right. Uh, another another thing that sort of attracts the fans is the idea of promotions and giveaways. Uh, I know uh, bobbleheads and jerseys are two of the headliners. And the funny thing about, well, the interesting thing right now about the Guardian's promotional schedule that was published yesterday is that it, it features bobbleheads and, and jerseys, but none of the players who are featured on the jerseys or the bobbleheads have their names associated with those dates yet because of the situation with the lockout. Obviously, the team, uh, Major League Baseball, took all the players' you know images and likenesses and faces down off of their websites uh, during the lockout because you don't want to promote the sport. You don't want to, you know, try to make money right now while promoting guys who are in a labor dispute with you. That's kind of awkward. Uh, so that, that sort of bleeds over into this idea of, uh, you know, we don't know who the promotions are. So there are three, there are three bobblehead nights. We don't know who the players or, you know, coaches or anybody who are going to be on the, the, on the featured on the bobbleheads are uh, there are three Jersey nights. One of those jerseys is going to be a Larry Doby throwback jersey, sort of like they did with the Tito throwback and the Jim, uh, the Jim Tomey throwback a couple of years ago. But there are going to be two other player jerseys, which will be uh, Guardians jerseys, which is, which is kind of neat. Uh, but we don't know who the players are on the jerseys. And uh, I, I reached out to try and maybe get an idea of who some of the players might be featured on the, the bobbleheads and the jerseys. 
and I got no confirmation of anything, but I did sort of submit a list and I said, Hey, if this list covers everybody who's on that, you know, could you, you give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down and uh, you know, sort of behind the scenes, I got the, the idea that, you know, guys like uh, Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber and Fran Mill Reyes and Miles Straw and Tristan McKenzie uh, and Aaron Savali would be guys who might be, you know, sort of at the top of the order in, in terms of those bobbleheads and, and jerseys. And uh, we're, we're just left to guess right now who who's going to be on what. Yeah, that's interesting. We should uh, we should ask uh, we should ask the subtext uh, subscribers who do they think are going to you know the bobbleheads are going to be and, and the jerseys are going to be. Oh, oh, don't worry, that post is coming. There's going to be a a, <laughs> a a post just asking you know who would you most like to see off of this list. I, I threw Emmanuel Classe out there because I figured you could make a hell of a bobblehead with Emmanuel Classe, you know, throwing hundred miles an hour, but. Uh, I, 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 I don't think I got anything in a response to, uh, as far as the, the back end of the bullpen, I think, uh, starter starting pitching might be more heavily featured among the, uh, the player giveaways, uh, this year, but there were some other giveaways. There's, uh, in, there's the special ticket promotions. They had a, a steel tumbler, like one of those Yeti tumblers that they're giving away and, uh, a Charlie Brown bobblehead featuring, uh, you know, guardians Jersey or whatever. So. Uh, again, uh, a bunch of different, uh, unique, neat things. The one that I thought that was, was, was unique was a guardian's, uh, medical scrubs. They're giving away actual medical scrubs to medical professionals, uh, featuring, uh, the guardians, uh, logo and, 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 uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I guess, uh, that's a big deal for medical professionals. And they, after two and a half years of the pandemic, they deserve all the giveaways they can get. So. Yeah, I hope that's that's not uh, in any reference to uh, what the injured list is going to look like. Uh, no, no, that would that would be bad. So, uh, hey, moving on, I, I want to uh, bring up the idea. I guess Sunday with Sunday was the the NFL Pro Bowl, and with the uh, NBA All Star Game, you know, coming to town here shortly. Actually, uh, a couple of weeks away, we're uh, we'll we'll have all the NBA, uh, you know, attention focused on, on Northeast Ohio, uh, wanted to talk about all-star games and just the differences between the, the three major all-star games. Uh, I think it's generally regarded that the NBA sort of has the, the best all-star game, or at least the, the most competitive and, you know, most fun to watch most made for made for TV sort of thing. But I think major league baseballs is, is a close second. And we just saw a couple of years back, you know, the, one of the best ones that was ever put on here in Cleveland uh, for the, uh, the major league baseball all-star game, but, and, and the pro bowl, I don't even want to talk about because that's basically <laughs> that's touch football isn't it? and touch. And, you know, it was, that's, that's hard to watch, man. That, that was really, <laughs> that, that's what sort of sparked me to, to want to talk about this, but uh, how can major league baseball make the all-star game make changes to or updates to the all-star game to make it what the NBA has going on right now with uh, you know, just the way they do the all-star game is, is pretty much the best. So it, major league baseball is, is good. It's a great game. There's a lot of tradition. I think people might want to see some of those traditions broken a little bit. Uh, would you be opposed to seeing 
instead of American League, uh, American League playing National League? Would you be opposed to seeing just a pool of players and a schoolyard pick game and, and you have captains and, you know, rosters chosen that way? Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. Definitely. You throw the bat back and forth to see who picks, there you picks, go. Bat, who picks first. <laughs> uh, you know, you do the, do the hand grip and... thing where whoever grabs the knob, the top of the knob. Yeah. 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 Uh, my, I, I guess it, it would, it would still work. I mean, especially with the universal DH this year, you, you, you're going to have that, that barrier broken. So it's not like, you know, it's a, it's a totally different game between the two sides. I, I think you could do something where you still vote for national league and American league starters. You just have a pool of players who, uh, you know, are, are selected by the, the participants and the coaches for a side. And then, you play a game that way and and who knows you you might get a, a really great mix of of players and have a, a a competitive game that way yeah or you could uh maybe use the uh, futures game uh blueprint and have uh u.s against the world or you know you could do that it, it would be, that that might, would be really interesting that would be interesting that you might run the risk of limiting the number of spots that you yeah. you have for each one or you know, maybe the American side would be pitching heavy and, you know, power hitting poor or something like that, because right. it, you got to think about stuff like that. I, the, the way the NBA does it with the mixing of the rosters after, after they've, they've chosen, you know, East all-stars and West all-stars, I think that would work because you're, you're still getting the same number of, there's an even number of, you know, pitching talent, hitting talent on either side, you're just working from a bigger pool to choose from then uh, to, to, to divide it up. What about the ending of the game? I mean, the, the all-star game takes, you know, three and a half hours. It's, it can get a little long. It can get a little boring, but there's also, you know, everybody gets to participate or they try to get everybody participating in one way or another. Do you, do you shorten it to a seven inning game? Do you, uh, you know, figure out a, 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 you know, let's play eight innings and then have a, a home run derby to decide it from there. You know, something like that. Yeah, that, that could That's be. That's not a bad idea, and I I don't think the players would would argue if it was a seven inning game because they, they basically want to get out of there anyways. Well, and half yeah. of them leave yeah. it after they've after they've done their uh, the starters are are out the door after they've done interviews from yeah. when they leave the game. And that would be tough to get like a 35 man roster in play everybody or you know what is it 32 35 players now I'm, I'm yeah sure. it's they're pretty big rosters but uh what do you think about the rule that says that each team has to have a representative at the game you know I still like that I know a lot of people don't like that Joe but I I, I just remember growing up and you know when the Indians were bad and you, you wanted to see that one guy you wanted to see that one your one off usually it was Doug Jones yeah you know so yeah. I, I always kind of I, I thought that was a good idea, but I can see the pros and cons to it too, because, you know, deserving players get, get snubbed. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, it was Doug Jones. That was it. That was it. He was the yeah, only all-star yeah. every year. So uh, that's who we tune in to watch. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they, the major league all-star game does, you know, the home run derby is great. I, I think that's, that's a, a, a great night and all that. 
do you think that there are more skills that could be involved and turned into some sort of a, a skills competition? Maybe, maybe, a you know, a timed base running, uh, maybe like a bunting challenge, like they do in, in the KBO, the Korean baseball league, they have a, a, a bunt derby. It's not a home run derby. It's really? a bunt I didn't derby. know that. Oh yeah. It's, and that's, you know, go out there and show your, demonstrate your skill with the bat. I mean, that's something that I think could, could definitely be added. Yeah, all of these, uh, these, these rule changes that they've been talking about over the last few years, what about robot umpires behind the plate in the all-star game? It, the game doesn't count for anything uh, because they wisely eliminated the, the, the uh, you know, associating it with who gets the home field advantage in the World Series. Because that, right. you know, is, was just crazy. But I, I, I think, you know, robot umpire might be, might be a good choice to have behind the plate in, the, in an all-star game. Yeah, why not? And, uh, you know, you could test it out. They're testing it in AAA. You could bring it up, you know, give it a, you know, a trial run in, in the all-star game and go from there. See what, see what, you know, the results are. The skill contests, you know, I, I'm wondering, you know, how, how, you know, if teams would really, you know, you know, outfield, who has the best outfield arm and stuff like that. Would they want their players you know, kind of exposing themselves to injury. And I, I, I don't know, you know, you, you don't want to see that happen, but it would be great to see. I think they, I think they used to do that. Didn't they, Joe, didn't they have some kind of skills contest in, in one of the all-star games? I, I, I don't know. I, it's gotta be better than watching a bunch of, you know, has been MTV celebrities play softball on the diamond. And <laughs> it, it's that, that was just the worst thing to watch. That was the worst thing to watch at the whole, at the, the 2019 all-star game was that celebrity softball game that it was terrible. It continues to be terrible. Uh, and the, you know, the time that's taken up by that, I think could be better served uh, with more exposure to the players out there on the field, you know, give them uh, more of a chance to, to go out there and showcase even just, you know, a, a batting practice exhibition where, where the, you know, the guys are just hitting home runs into the crowd. I think that would be, you know, even more welcome than uh, a celebrity softball game. Who cares? <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, that's, uh, you know, our thoughts on the All-Star game. I, I still think the NBA does it the best. Uh, I think the Major League Baseball is second and and they're close. They could they could tweak things and they're always looking to improve it. So maybe they can do it there. Uh, I want to remind our uh, our readers and our listeners uh, subtext, you can still subscribe as we're getting closer to the season uh, on cleveland.com subtext, $3.99 a month. You can follow us, Guardians subtext. Uh, subscribers get, you know, what we know first and uh, a chance to talk to us about it directly and share their thoughts. And, and maybe you'll have thoughts on the All-Star game. Uh, 216-298-4346 is the number if you want to text and subscribe that way. Uh, so go ahead and send a text, and we'll talk to you there soon. Uh, Hoinsey, are you ready for today's uh, mystery guest, a blind reveal on the 25 most interesting uh, Cleveland baseball players of the last, you know, 38 years uh, that you've covered? And I'm we're, ready, we're ready to go with that. All right. Uh, this guy was the fourth overall selection by the Indians in 
1984, after playing on the silver medal winning U.S. baseball team, uh, he was the he finished fourth in rookie of the year voting uh, 1986. He totaled uh, in in uh, five years for Cleveland. He totaled 595 hits, 115 of those home runs, and uh, really, I think uh, his his claim to fame with Cleveland was his uh, throwing arm in right field. Uh, this was uh, a guy who totaled career nine seasons uh, in right field, had 83 outfield assists, uh, was among the, the league leaders uh, pretty much every year in outfield assists for uh, right fielders. And, you know, after his career, he went on, or after his career in Cleveland, went on to play in uh, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, and uh, I, I believe, um, was he anywhere else? Oh, Toronto and the Dodgers also uh, before retiring in 1995. Who we got? It's got to be the White Knight, Corey Snyder. The White Knight. Where, where, where did he earn that nickname? <laughs> Pat Corrales gave him that <laughs> Pat, when, when Pat was managing uh, uh, Cleveland and uh, Corey was, you know, the, the number one pick in 84, like you said, and uh, came, you know, had uh, really, a, he was like the future, you know, he was the guy that was going to ride in on the, uh, on the white horse and save the franchise. And, uh, you know, Corey, like you said, uh, Joe, great arm. You know, I remember him in his first uh, spring training, in Tucson, they started him out at shortstop. They, they you know, they, they really loved his arm. Then eventually, uh, you know, he moved, moved out into uh, right field, uh, you know, power hitter, <clears throat> power hitter with a great arm. And, uh, you know, he was that kind of with Joe Carter and Brett Butler and Brooke Jacoby. You know, he was kind of that, that group, that core group of, of players that was you know, going to take the Indians to the promised land, but it didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, he was he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Joe Carter that year in that that Indians uprising, uh, uh, you know, pre, uh, season preview, I believe it was. Uh, what I, I I actually have a poster of Corey Snyder uh, on the wall in my bar down the basement. Uh, it's the old Starline poster. Uh, those were great, and you know, I what I remember. Uh, you know, besides the the big bushy mustache, I guess was the the one feature uh, for Corey Snyder. But uh, just watching him, you know, throw from the outfield, and guys wouldn't run. Like guys would guys would stay at, at first base. They would he he would keep them put. And I remember that, you know, asking my my grandpa when I was at a game, you know, hey, why didn't that guy go to second base? That ball went all the way to the wall. And he's like, you know, you don't run on Corey Snyder. So yeah. I, I thought that was, you know, I, I thought that was interesting that you could tell, you know, right away that this was a guy and, and I'm, I'm talking eight, nine, 10, as I'm, you know, learning about this. So it was interesting uh, to, to see and, and, and to follow him, but just, I think what really stands out is how precipitous the fall was uh, immediately. It was the, you know, he, he got hurt one year and then just never recovered. He was never the same. Yeah. He, you know, he was like a kind of an all or nothing you know, offensive player. And speaking of his arm, Joe, I remember there was a game against Baltimore at, at the old stadium 
And you remember where the Indians dugout, I mean, a uh, bullpen was down the right mm-hmm. field line. They were playing Baltimore and Cal Ripken was on third. And, you know, it was a long sacrifice fly. I don't know who hit it, but Corey caught it in foul territory and on the fly on a line threw it home and almost got Ripken, who was, you know, kind of, he wasn't like sprinting home. He thought it was easy. And I remember just kind of how shocks Ripken look at how close Snyder made that play. But offensively, he was, you know, he was an all or nothing player. He had power hitter, pure power hitter, had trouble with, uh, you know, the, the slider down and away. Uh, I remember his first couple spring trainings, his dad was there. His dad was his coach, basically. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he'd be running from field to field and his dad would be giving him glasses of water. And uh, finally, finally, Corrales had to talk to uh, um, uh, his dad was a minor league player. And he said, you know, Mr. Snyder, you're not doing your kid any favors here. You know, you, you did a great job bringing him this far. Now let us just coach him because, you know, the other players, you know, were wondering what was going on here. But right. uh, just, but he was a, a good guy. Uh, you know, I've seen him. You see, uh, you know, he, he managed a lot in the, uh, after he got out of baseball. He managed in, Ch- in China. I mean, in Taiwan, the Chinese Professional Baseball League. He led a, te- a Mexican League team to the championship there. Uh, and he managed, I think, four, more, four years in, uh, in the independent ball. Then he was uh, Seattle's hitting coach uh, in AAA. Uh, so, you know, he, he's been around and, uh, you know, gee, he was a baseball guy. I think he, after he, he retired, he, uh, he, he, he was one of those, you know, he, he was playing softball, one of those super softball leagues with the power hitters. He played oh, wow. that, you know, he had, uh, he had two, three run homer games. And this is just, just to show, you know, the, the gap, what the kind of power he had, he had, he, he hit one in 1987 when he was playing for the Indians to, and uh, two of them against Blylevin when he played for the twins, the two, oh, wow. and then all the way to 1994 with the Dodgers, you know, he had another three run, three Homer game. So that's the kind of power he had and he, and he maintained it. You know, he was kind of, he was six, four, he was that wiry, strong kind of guy, mm-hmm. uh, big swing. And uh, you know, one of his daughters, uh, Amberly, Snyder was a barrel is a barrel racer, you know, uh, you know, like a, uh, you know, rodeo uh, barrel mm-hmm. racer. And she had a, a, unfortunately, she had a really a bad accident, you know, driving to a rodeo, uh, she, her car, her truck flipped over and, uh, she, she broke her back. She was paralyzed, but she came back and she's still, she's barrel racing now, even though she's paralyzed, they, they they put her on the saddle and, and she's still, she's still competing. And, uh, right. I, so I that think they made, shows a, you, they made a you movie know, about athletic her athletic ability in the family. Yeah. They made a movie about her. I believe it was, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a Netflix yeah. movie. It's like a documentary, not a documentary, but like a, a, a fictionalized movie. Uh, yeah, just his, uh, his, his career after, you know, playing it, it sort of, uh, uh, you know, he bounced around and, and, and coached a lot of places. I, I think, I, I did read that his um, his first three at bats in college when he played for BYU were all he hit home runs in all three at bats on the first pitch, his first three at bats in his first game. So, you know, that, that's one of those like legendary sort of stories that. Yeah, that, you know, he, I mean, he was he was a hot shot. You know, he was like the like you said, the fourth player taken 
overall and just the nicest guy in the world. And here, I'm and in 1990, we're sitting, you know, I'm, we're in Seattle and John McNamara is managing the club. And all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're talking to him after a game and, he, and, and McNamara says, brings it up, you know, unsolicited, brings up uh, uh, something about Corey said, saying something on the bench that, you know, he, that McNamara was upset about. And right then I knew, okay, you know, something's going on here. And this guy is not, Corey was not long for, for the Indians after that. And, you know, they traded him at the winter meetings, the White Sox after in 1990 at the 1990 winter meetings. But Corey was such a good guy. I asked Corey, you know, what is McNamara talking about? And he, he, he had no idea. He had no idea what, what the hell was going on. So wow. I think, you know, he kind of, they just, it, it was clear that the writing was on the wall. There was, that it was time for, you know, the, the two were parting ways, I guess. Well, I, I think anybody who grew up, you know, uh, in, around my age watching uh, the Indians at that time just sort of fell in love, like you said, with the idea of what Corey Snyder could be. He had shown so many flashes and, uh, you know, was, you know, every time he threw somebody out or hit a long home run, I think we all just sort of said, hey, this is a guy who's uh, going to be a cornerstone for a long time. Uh, but then, you know, the, the fall off was was tremendous. Uh, still, uh, like you said, what was he like to 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 be around? He was he was sort of a nice guy, and and he just sort of I I think it was interesting. He's uh a, a, like his his Mormon faith I think was a big part of him. He didn't drink alcohol, so he wasn't like one of the those crazy guys in the clubhouse. Uh, just uh, sort of a nice guy. Yeah, he was he was really a good guy. I think you know I just remember him sitting. You know he he had. He was one of those guys that would go like a power hitter that would go into slumps. And I remember talking to him once and he goes, you know, I know I'm better than this. I, I know I can hit, I can hit, you know, and you know, he was, he was, he was, you know, the baseball is such a tough game and you know, it, it really, he really wrestled with it at times and uh, you know, just, and you know, he just, you know, just to try and he just had that, that you know, he had that swing where it just didn't look like, you know, pitchers could get him out down and away. And it, mm -hmm. it was a hole that he could never close in that swing, to me at least, just, just from watching. All right. All right. That's going to wrap up uh, our Tuesday podcast here on Cleveland.com. We'll be back uh, Wednesday to talk about another uh, Indians great from the last 38 years and uh, hopefully get some news on some, some labor negotiations here and, and get moving forward. Wednesday, we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.